Ladies and gentlemen, Vox Podcast live from the World International Headquarters of Vox Stuff uh, in Brea, California. <laughs> international, I like International, that. yes, the international headquarters for Vox and all of its affiliates. Uh, we're going to be selling some essential oils and, um, and we've got some jewelry I think you'll really be interested in, but that's coming down the road. Hey, um, we are so excited to be a part of your life, whether you're in the gym, which you should be, whether you're driving, which we hope you're not, whether you're sleeping, which this actually is a great cure for insomnia. They're probably driving. Uh, perfect. Please keep your eyes open and your hands at two and four. Um, and if you need to wave at fellow drivers who cut you off, just get, tell them that, that they are number one using the most appropriate finger possible. If they're driving index. at two or four, they're either making about to make a left hand turn. Isn't this two and four? That's ten and two. Oh, ten and two. Two Sorry. and two and four. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Shut up. <laughs> maybe there are motorcycles and it's just three and nine. Uh, um, or, or maybe you're just at six. You know, you're, you're just, just like this. You're, you're kind of you're kind of you're, you're low kinda riding. Low riding. I like that. They're rolling and they hate and they roll it. <laughs> So, um, so uh, this is Mike, of course, and and Andy um, continues to find his way into my house every Thursday to record these dumb things. So, a um, couple of things. Number one, we've got another live show coming up. Uh, April 20th, and uh, that is in Villain Studios in Placentia, and we're going to do a few things a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's rumor, and I don't know if this is true, there's rumor of maybe a dance contest. I'm not <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Could be prizes for a dance contest. I don't know. Um, and uh, the, as always, there are, there's free Coors Light. So, um, which... Right, we do. We we, do. we we bribe we bribe people now, <laughs> or drive them away. Depends. Either on that your... or T-shirts. And lo and behold, Coors Light is cheaper. Yes. Oh, that's hurtful. <laughs> um, uh, also, um, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that. If you want to um, um, like us, just like us. Uh, we're on iTunes and uh, voxpodcast.com uh, is where the podcast resides, and then uh, Vox Community. We actually have a little church out of this thing. Um, is uh, Vox, what is it? VoxOC.com. Dang. Yes. Oh, okay. Today, today, we keep, you know, it's a sign of how incredibly popular we've become. (laughs) That there are people who either are desperate enough or um, incredibly gracious enough that that say yes to our invitations to be on our show. So um, I am a huge book reader, um, literally a huge person that reads books and a person that reads a huge amount of books. Both statements are true. Uh, And I came across a book recently that um, I absolutely adored. And it turns out the the authors are local and guys I wanted to meet anyway. And so um, they made the trek from where's San Marcos? San Marcos. Yep. Where where is that? North San Diego County. Oh, it's almost where I live. Oh, really? (laughs) Almost. I mean, sort of. We should have. Car- we I mean, Capistrano Beach. We should have carpooled, man. We should have. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No wonder you're so nice, just relaxed and nice. Yeah. We're so chill down south. It's I not know. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Don't you grow marijuana down there? I, mean, I do. This is a general rule. I do. I've got a farm. And then Kyle. Kyle is a professor. Uh, I'll, I'll have him explain of what. But where do you live? Fullerton. Okay. So they've they've trekked. <laughs> Uh, a long way to be at the World Vox headquarters in Brea, California, um, here today. So um, we have a full studio, and uh, Jamin and Kyle, why don't you guys just introduce yourselves real quick, and then I'll introduce uh, the book. Sure. I'm Kyle Strobel. I am a professor, as you mentioned, at Biola University at the seminary. Go I... War Eagles. That's right. Yes, go Amen. Eagles. 
the um, I am a professor of spiritual theology. Oh, so um, that's a thing. It is a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. No, what's the that, difference that sounds redundant that? to me. It's what, like theology, the theology, that? and, and, and unspiritual theology. <laughs> There's a lot, hopefully. Okay. You, okay. Know, you know, what's funny is you know the seminary is all pretend, right? We made it all up, right? There's none of these degrees are real, of course. Okay. I you know, love these that. are all. Um, we got, we got it from Schleiermacher of all people, but that's, that's another story. Oh my goodness. But, um, we, Schleiermacher so, references two minutes in, two minutes in, you know, you know, it's going to be good. So, you know, you have all these disciplines and there actually was this whole discipline we used to call Christian ethics uh-huh. that we now call spiritual formation Okay. and it had okay. no place to land in the seminary. And so it used to be where you could go to seminary and never actually talk about, um, what life in the spirit entails. You could never talk about. Um, the the kind of phenomena of the Christian experience. Well, sure, and because you need to have right. your view of predestination straight. That's, right. That's the most important thing. So we're trying to kind of pick that back up, I and we that. do it under the vein of spiritual theology. So okay, so what like examples of a couple of course titles that you would teach? Intro to spiritual theology. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty, we're not the most creative There's in terms things. of names, but. <laughs> Seminaries are also not known for creativity. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. Perfect. Um, hence why I never went. Yes. yes. Okay. And then? So the, the that's so every Talbot student has to take a, a three-class course in spiritual theology. Talbot, Talbot is the graduate school yeah. of Biola. That's the seminary, yeah. Yes. So if you're going to seminary, no matter if you're doing a philosophy degree or a New Testament or an MDiv to be a pastor, um, you have to do a year and a half course now in spiritual theology. You start with intro to spiritual formation. Then you do a personal foundations in spiritual formation yep, class. Yep. Um, and then there's um, a year of spiritual direction, a year and a half of group direction. And it's a pretty intensive three retreat kind of process. And It's so funny. It sounds, so mm-hmm. to somebody like me, that sounds horrific. Yep. And because I was going for philosophy. As was I. Yep. Uh, yep. And I was like, I, I, what? no. I don't yep. want to do journals. I don't want to do retreats. <laughs> totally. Oh, thank you. I was the guy in the back of this class giggling half the time. Yes. <laughs> and here you are. And here I am teaching it now. So there's a bit, you know, the Lord is irony. But. I love it. What was your What was your doctorate in? So I, I when I was at Talbot, we, we probably overlapped a bit. I, I, my background's in philosophy and New Testament. And then I went and did my PhD in systematics. And so okay. I'm a systematic theologian by training. And my, my, the focus of my work was Jonathan Edwards' theology, and I, um, my kind of specific expertise is in his Trinitarian theology, but I'm also interested in spirit, his spiritual understanding of spirituality. Okay. Um, Jonathan Edwards, for those of you who know him, was early. He wasn't American because it was before the war, but he's called America's greatest theologian, which I feel is really American that we claim him anyways. So that's got a kind of Trumpy yeah. kind of to it. So um, we own him. So that's cool. And um, But he, he was early, so early 1700s, and he's considered by, by most who know him to be the greatest philosopher as well as the greatest theologian of American history. And so in many ways, the forefather of evangelicalism. So, okay. Boom. Yeah. And then, and then, do you um, you work at a church too? Do you teach? So I I'm on a preaching team at a church, so I preach monthly. There's there's a, okay. about five of us, and I'm one of the two main kind nice. of teaching okay. leaders of that. Awesome. Group. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah. Jamin. Yeah. Let's I, talk about Jamin's I'm... look for a second. Both <laughs> these guys have beards, mm. but um, <laughs> but Jamin's got this salt and pepper thing going on with mm. brown eyes. And how old are you? I am 34. Oh my lord. We're the, same, got, we're the same age. Here's, but look at look at the package. <laughs> I mean, not literally, <laughs> but look at what we got here. We got we've got the youth of the face. We've got the wisdom 
of the of the accoutrements to the face. <laughs> yeah. And it's I mean like yeah. you 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 will look like this for the next 40 years oh, and it will man. be glorious. I'll take it. <laughs> what's what's funny is I I get I have had people from time to time ask me is so for those who are listening and are not seeing me in the room I have gray kind of throughout my hair but I have this one gray wisp it's at the awesome. front of my hair and it's I've amazing. had people ask me if I quote do that yes. like yeah. do you do you do that is that yeah. something you did and I, I like as in my body naturally developed gray hair. No, they, they think I, this is kind of like a, a highlight, a hipster move, a frost. you know, like an intentional move towards no, the gray. It's beautiful. And no, this is. It's like when, like when, well, who was the X X men X person? Uh, oh yeah, who, who had rogue, rogue? Yes, who had the yeah, silver rogue. thing? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes that's a sign of something hey, big happening. I'll take it. You know, so. yeah, special powers. So yeah. anyway. aside from my gray wisp that is natural, not done, and Jamin. And my name is Jamin, which, which is, is also awesome. given to me. wasn't It wasn't a name I, I I decided to transition to later in life. How many Bob Marley oh, references? We oh, be Jamin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the number of times that someone responds with Jamin, kind of like Jam and Jamin, oh. and, then, and then the question comes: Has anyone ever called you that? And no, my thought is, that's... yeah, you're you're the first. <laughs> and then usually the Bob Marley song starts getting yeah, sung over me. It's kind of a chorus of, of my life. Of and course. Having played basketball growing up and not really being able to dunk, having been a DJ in high school, that's a what DJ, I'm talking about. The, the, the Jam and Jamin thing was it really tried to stick <laughs> to did. me in ways that were unfortunate. Mm. Um, but I am a pastor, have been a pastor for, I don't know, 13, 14 years. So I'm at a church now in San Marcos that I've only been at actually for about a year. My family moved down there mm. about eight months ago. I was commuting for a while, but born and raised in Orange County. Um, so just a little bit further up the freeway near Capo Beach, grew up in Mission Viejo. Okay. Um, born and raised in Southern California. Um, worked at several churches, uh, went to Biola actually as well as an undergrad, went to Talbot Seminary where Kyle now teaches, did a couple MAs there. Hmm. Um, and so joined a friend of ours from seminary down in the church in San Marcos and kind of a shared leadership model. So hmm. uh, we're two pastoral staff who are also elders and we share primary teaching responsibility and oversight of kind of the staff, but kind of share that with a group of other elders in the life of the church and so it's been um, joyful and challenging and all of the yep. above it's yep. our first kind of big move for my family in life having mm. lived in southern california most of my life and my wife as well this is our kind of our first big step into the unexpected and unknown we had a our fourth child Whoa. and moved Whoa. and i took a new job Whoa. um all of the above so a lot of change you know yeah. with that comes challenges but also lots of beautiful new things so let's write a book on top of all that yeah yeah <laughs> and let's add a book to why not it. and um so let me just set up the book we're, we're not a podcast that plugs but in this case man it I, i'd highly recommend it it's the way of the dragon and the way of the lamb correct or is it or. verse is it or or, or verse yeah Versus. or the way of the lamb. okay or the way of the lamb and uh, for those of you who are not familiar with uh with christian imagery that could sound like a lord of the rings sort of sequel um, which is all, which would be awesome. Bruce Lee be. movie. Bruce Lee bio. Bruce Lee. Oh, there, nice. there, there is a way of the dragon movie with yes. Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs> The lamb. So let's just. That's awesome. If your listeners want to go more that direction, we would not be offended. Not be offended. We would understand. I saw Chuck Norris like two months ago at Orange County Airport. Oh, nice. And he is a short man. Oh, yeah. He is a very short man. I was like, I, the thought entered my head. I could take Chuck Norris, which I rebuked immediately because I know that's not true. Yeah. His actually Chuck Norris's spirit rebuked that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, um, 
So the the book is when it came out recently, correct? January. January. And uh, of course, you can get it online and, and everywhere else. But it, it's a book about power. And if you've been following our podcast, um, it's a book about power and weakness and um, how churches uh, very often and, and us as leaders in churches very often fall into definitions of power and, and portrayals of power that aren't Jesus-y. And so the way of the lamb um, is uh, it taken from Revelation, uh, the, the sacrificial lamb that Jesus comes as versus the way of the dragon is another image from the book of Revelation of the way of power. We've called it power under versus power over. Mm-hmm. They call it power from uh, above or power from below. So above is reference to the lamb, power of the kingdom of the heavens, power of below reference to the power that we're used to. Kind yeah. of, does that, is that all a fair yep. summary? Yeah. Um, and but, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, real fast. Let me just check something. What's what are you doing right I now? I think I might have put his mic backwards. <laughs> As I'm listening to him, I'm like, man, you're really bassy. It's a tight, mm. it's a you're, tight ship, brothers and sisters. Are we better now? Oh, oh yeah. my goodness, yeah, there you are. Okay, that's right. Now, now you sound 34. Oh. You were sounding like 12. <laughs> oh, was like I really? A, yeah, no, I that's that's good. Now, now you're back. Yeah. Now you're back. <laughs> so, the, the way of the dragon. <laughs> Or the way of the lamb. Um, and, and so it's a book about power. Um, uh, what? Uh, it's hard for me to, I, I just want to summarize the book because it, it's so good. But it's an interesting sort of format. Why don't you give us just a bit of a, an overview of, the, of how you structured the book. Mm-hmm. And then I want to explore. So this is not going to be a podcast about the book. It's going to be a podcast about what the book's about, mm-hmm. which, is, which is genius. And, and stuff we've explored on our podcast that I, th- I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear what these guys are thinking. So go mm-hmm. ahead and just kind of summarize the thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the way the book is structured um, is really shaped around a quite literal kind of journey or pilgrimage. And so the book kind of narrates our journey over the last several years of going and visiting what we would call kind of sages of this way of power and weakness that we mm-hmm. talk about in the mm-hmm. book. And so we, we sit at the feet of um, sages of the Christian faith, um, folks that um, have for many decades now kind of modeled, not only kind of taught on and spoken about this way, but really have modeled it in their life. So folks oh, like Dallas Willard, oh, Eugene Peterson, come on. Jean Vanier, John Perkins, Marva Don, James Houston, and I'm forgetting somebody. J.I. Pa- Packer. The other one. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, yeah as if. So, um, and for, for Kyle and I, um, much of the impetus behind kind of narrating the, the the journey throughout the book wasn't just kind of a clever way to write a book, but it really was the the result of a genuine journey we felt like the Lord was taking us on. And here we are, guys, in our late 20s, early 30s, who are wrestling with these questions of what does it mean to really embrace kind of Jesus' way of power yeah. when so much of our own heart's desire seems to be antithetical to that at times and so much of the culture we find ourselves in seems to be really baptizing that as an appropriate way to lead and to approach kind of ministry mm. and thinking about our vocations and embracing forms of control and talking about winning and dominating. And wow, and, and here we hear Jesus come along and talk about the first will be last and last will be first and don't seek the seats of honor and, and these are really unfortunate statements when you're you're headed down a different direction right <laughs> yeah, no so kidding as as we were kind of faced with these this this tension in our own hearts realizing 
we felt like God was kind of calling us to really explore what this other way of power Jesus was proposing would really mm-hmm. look like, mm-hmm. we knew that the answer wasn't just kind of, well, maybe study for a couple of years, read the right books, and we'll kind of land on it. Maybe by the time we're 33, 34, like we'll kind of have this thing figured out. <laughs> yes. But rather, we needed to really look towards those who have embodied this way in their life for it. many years. And so... That took us on this literal, literal journey that then kind of shapes the story of the book of, of us talking about our own struggles with these things, our own temptations to power, and really earnestly seeking wisdom from others who can, dem- who have demonstrated and articulated another way. And so the, the book kind of walks people through that. And each figure, each person we talk with kind of develops um, this way of power and weakness from through a little bit of a different grid or yeah. they, they might have a, a different kind of area of emphasis. But what's incredible is despite the diversity of the folks we interviewed, and there is a wide diversity. I mean, people that all would identify as Christian, but certainly we would kind of be located in, in different tribes or even different parts of the church, yeah. right? We have yep. Jean Vanier, who's Catholic, and we have J.I. Packer, who's not. Right? Right. And, so, right. Right. and so, and yet there's uniformity all along the way about a certain way that Jesus calls us to embrace power. Yeah, how would you, how would you contrast, just briefly, Kyle, the, yeah. the, way, the way from above, the way of Jesus, let's call it the way of Jesus versus the way of the world. Yeah, well, the, the imagery we took was from James 3. And oh, wasn't it, wasn't Revelation? It, well, the dragon image oh, okay. is from Revelation, okay, but okay. the the way from above versus the way from below oh, language yeah. is from James three, and so James contrasts the way from above, which is kind of highlighting that Jesus, the, the one who kind of came down. And so you have the way. Sometimes it's called the the kingdom of heaven, for instance, mm-hmm. is, is the way of God, and then the way of below. And what's interesting about James three, and quite honestly, a bit unnerving, mm-hmm. is in James three we're told that this way from below is. The James's language is it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Mm. And the church for you know millennia now has, has, has taken those three categories and called them the world, the flesh, and the devil. Mm. Mm. And what's interesting is you hear these categories like, wow, that's kind of gnarly, you know? <laughs> like this is yeah. these aren't small things. And so you kind of expect, well, what would what would this way look like? It must be murder, you know, it must be, you know, it's pretty ra- ratcheted up language. Right. But James 3 claims that the two key attributes are selfish ambition and jealousy. Mm. And that, that, that is a harder pill to swallow because it's like, okay, the flesh, yeah, okay, yeah, selfish ambition, jealousy, these are bad things. But then it links it to the world and the devil. Wow, okay, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And so as we kind of wrestled through these categories, we, we say, well, wow, this is, the, the scriptures are using the kind of highest possible language and it's using vices that we know in our own lives. Mm-hmm. And in, it's almost like God knew us. It's crazy, isn't it? One of the most maybe <laughs> profound and shocking claims of Marva Dawn, who I know I know um, is a beloved author of yours as well. The at one point Marva makes the claim that if basically if you want to see this, you want to see selfish ambition, just go to a pastor's conference. Oh my lord, yes. <laughs> and you know, that hits hard. You know, I'm an academic, and you know, at the entire academy is built on this. Sure. When I go to a, when I go to an academic conference, no one looks at each other in the eyes. When you walk by, everyone's looking at each other's chests because that's where our name tags are. And everyone's <laughs> wanting to know, is there someone worthwhile that I should grab and talk to? Mm-hmm. Where's the power? And you see these groups of power develop. And, mm. and so some of this, it's just so subtle. Yeah, We don't even notice it, but scripture now is ratcheting it up to say, no, this is... Or every evil vice, every every vile thing, James three says, is wrapped around this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this, it, you know, where 
we began to see things that we would very easily say, yeah, that's not ideal. Yeah, that shouldn't happen. But, you know, it, it just does. And right. Scripture was pressing us to say something much harsher, actually, about it. Yeah. So let's. So so part of part of the space um, we try to occupy is both the deconstructive side mm-hmm. of. I, I think God does um, give great permission to critique His beautiful bride for the sake of its beauty, and I and I, but I but I don't think that's ever enough. That's why we actually started a church out of the podcast. We felt like we had an obligation to just not be critical, mm. but to try something positively. Yeah. And so I want to spend a bit of time. Um, because I, I deeply resonate uh, as I've sat in pastors' conferences, as I've taught in pastors' conferences, I've been one of those speakers sure. in the back room, and you're like, "Oh man!" <laughs> and um, and uh, one of the things that you say that that is is striking, but it's a reflection of the James passage, is that that church that that a lot of uh, of American churches openly affirm mm. the way from below, the, yeah. this way of seeing power, this way of seeing significance and status, and so on. Can we, can we explore that a little bit in terms of all right pastors conferences for people that aren't pastors? Sure. Um, uh, what's that look like in church? What are the symptoms? Because I think a lot of our our folks will re- resonate immediately with, oh yeah, this is this is. I mean, like for instance, we have a, a record of the fifty fastest growing churches that comes out every year. That's right. Um, quite different from the Jesus who said, you know, uh, the first will be last, the last will be first. That very often the smallest is the most significant. But we just it. we just put up with that as yeah, if yeah. you know that's right. just a kind of a thing. So when you guys were starting to say it's openly affirmed this way from below is openly affirmed in many churches and and we'll confess that i'm a part of the problem mm-hmm. we're parts of the sure. problem mm-hmm. we've all fallen in love with this yeah, yeah. but we're now trying to detox mm. and um <laughs> and so we're not pointing at the church as if we're not part of the issue mm-hmm. um but what would you say what would you yeah. say how, how you've seen this well i mean <laughs> the problem is it's almost so ubiquitous it's hard to kind of land on things but it, you know, one of one of the obvious things to me right away, and even compared with with how we wanted to approach it, we want it to be stark. You, know, mm-hmm. you go to a pastor's conference, you probably will find the youngest, the the biggest church, the most impressive rhetorically. Yeah, you will not find a ninety five year old who has done sixty years of faithful ministry. Yeah, in a hundred yeah. person church. in a hundred person church yeah. mm-hmm. who's faithfully married buried and baptized decade after decade after decade the um one of the ways you see this play itself out um i mean even in in a church context is we often from the church's standpoint often long for a certain kind of leader to attach ourselves to Mm -hmm. someone who impresses us you know what's so funny already in the bible you get this right no one wants up an apostle who's in jail right, right. paul's right. kind of a letdown <laughs> right. right so yeah. right away right. i mean this is one of the temptations i think a christians can have is to think there was this ideal church back there somewhere that right. we could just get back right. to it's like no it was bad from right. day one right <laughs> things went wrong quickly um you know one of the you know some of the things that get in the news right when when you have pastors who are manipulating the new york times bestseller list right Mm. Right. This is evil. Right. Right? This is, as Scripture would say, demonic activity. But we often just kind of say, oh, well, it's not ideal. But you know, and Well, the thing that we say, 
Um, and I listened to a podcast of the guy who came up with that idea. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. yes. And yeah. the way he justified it was here are all the kingdom ends totally. that were met. Sure. Yep. So so it's a means justify or the ends justify yep. the means mm. thinking. Yep. And that mm. is the way the yep. way from below is justified in American evangelicalism. Totally. Look at how big my yes. church is. If That's it's right. wrong, yes. God wouldn't be blessing it. Yeah, right. totally. Well, right. and the, the temptation, I think, and I'm sure this is true of other vocations, but for pastors, as you know, I mean, it's so easy to say, well, since I'm doing this for ministry, or I can just kind of naively say for the glory of God on anything right, I right, do. Right, right, right. <laughs> and suddenly that means God's on my side. Yeah, rubber, right. rubber stamp of approval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. And that's no matter right. how I go about getting it done, one of the most, one of the passages in, in scripture that kind of, to be honest, haunts me. You talk about the Bible a lot. I just want to point that out. Yes, so for, yes. For, uh, for this is, I'm a, sorry, listeners. I'm a seminary professor. Okay. It, it comes I, with they the, pay you, they okay. pay you to do this. <laughs> that's right. Okay. But in, in, it's very spiritual. You know, well, let me do, let me do two things. I'll start with, I'll start with the Bible, then I'll turn to a, a, a contemporary example. Okay, That's going to nerd me out. Oh, I love so, it. But in Galatians, um, um, the Apostle Paul writes a letter, and he talks about sowing and reaping. So this is a very, uh, it's a farming imagery. Like you're sowing seed in the ground. You sow orange seeds in the ground. You get an orange tree. But he says you can sow in the flesh, but if you do, you will reap in the flesh. Mm-hmm. And the image there is that just because you have the right end in mind, right. if you sow in a way that is antithetical to that end, right. it will destroy you. The flesh is, mm. is usually a, 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 a picture of life done by the self, for the self, right. in the self's own power. So yeah. there's no God inclusion in that. Yeah. So, so, so if, go ahead. So, you know, for those out here now, again, this might alienate me. It might nerd no, me. I, so do either it, way, do it, do it. But if you want to take our book and ask, what would this book look like, just totally in in culture, like just in our culture? This is just what Harry Potter's about. Oh, okay. first of all, we love Harry Potter. There we go at the Vox Podcast. So the entire yeah. Harry Potter narrative is about how power and weakness, the way of Jesus, ultimately destroys the way of evil. Yes. Mm. And so you think about Harry, who embodies weakness. Yeah. There's nothing distinctively special about him. Mm -hmm. He has no power compared to... What's interesting, though, he does. And Dumbledore's constantly trying to convince Harry he's more powerful because love is a power. You know, Mm. one of the temptations in all this is to just say, well, we just embrace our weakness, I guess. Right. It's very passive. It can be very passive. No, love is a kind of power. Martin Luther King, more than maybe anyone, recognized this. Someone's preaching now. Somebody, finally. So so if you think, so one of the things I love about the Harry Potter narrative, if you have have the two groups, you have Voldemort's group who are the Death Eaters. Like, they're going to try to destroy death. They want to become immortal. They want to embrace power of the self. But by embracing death, they consume it and it slowly destroys them from within. Mm. The good guys, right, Dumbledore's group, Harry's group, they are the order of the phoenix. The phoenix is the bird that accepts death because it trusts in resurrection. Mm. Come on now. And, Whoa. And, Come on now. And Look out. As it embraces. Come on now. And you all call it magic. <laughs> That's right. Come That's on. Right. This was gospel from the second yes, right. the paper. Harry Potter's about magic the same J.K. way. J.K. Rowling is actually a, what, what do you call that? An anagram for Jonathan Edwards. <laughs> That's and, right. And that's, right. that's what's amazing. <laughs> the, degree, that's right. the degree to which that would be anathema <laughs> to, to a certain segment out there is, is astounding. That's right. That's right. I mean, why, why else was the uh, uh, taking Harry Potter as sacred text number one on yes, religion and spirituality? That, yes, that transplanted John Rolstein. That's right. Correct. There's reasons. That's right. It's brilliant. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, she knows her stuff. You know, she, she recognizes the way of Voldemort, you know, as the... The only ones, you know, and Harry in the stories becomes the master of death. But the master of death is the person who can walk to their death because right. they trust in resurrection, right. which is why Harry doesn't use any of the any of the three 
yeah. um, powers, the kind of the Elder Wand and the Resurrection Stone. He doesn't use any of these to defeat death because he recognizes I hand myself over to it. And that's what gave him power. Whereas you see in that wonderful scene about eternity, whatever that scene is, right. you see Voldemort withered. It looks powerful. And so the image gives us, you know, there's powerful people in our culture, right? There's people of power. But at their core, they're withered. They're, they're actually unpowerful in, in Jesus's terms. Ooh, come on now. This, yeah. And I think, um, well, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not going to piggyback on Harry Potter because <laughs> that's just too good. But um, this pastor can't resist speaking. Do it. R- r- returning to the primary question of how do we see this show up? Yeah. There's lots of ways it shows up, but um, in my own life and ministry, one of the ways I've seen this show up, at least within the kind of the church context I've been in, evangelicalism, broadly speaking, is a marginalization of certain people yep. and a marginalization of certain practices Come on. that have been proper to the church. And and so first to the people, if if the way we think about what we're doing in worship and what we think we're doing when we gather as a church, what we think we're doing with our programming, what we think we're doing when, when we're talking about reaching out to people. If if what is not, if the people that are already marginalized in the culture, that are already outcasts and rejected, are not actually centered hmm. in our understanding of what it means to reach out, of what it means to shape a community of safety and and one that is inviting and welcoming people to meet Jesus. If if those people are not only not centered but actually are marginalized within our communities as well, in the same way they would be elsewhere. So I think of those who have mental and physical disabilities. Come on. I think of those who are elderly. As, Come on. as James Houston, one of the people we interviewed, says, yeah. Yeah. they are th- what we've done with the elderly is the apartheid of the church today. These mm. people are at best marginalized and often sent out to the pasture mm-hmm. to graze or whatever they might do in the same way our culture Complain. has done with them. Yes. Yeah. And yep. so what we've done with those who in our culture are viewed as weak, if the church is kind of a mere reflection of that, if, yep. if our worship services mm. are ordered in such a way that those people will be viewed as a hindrance or a disruption yeah. to doing it the right way, Come quote on. Unquote, Come on. we yeah. know we've fallen prey to the wrong kind of power. So that, that, that's the people piece. Love the, that. The, the second piece to the practices is notice, at least within the context I've been in, and probably true for you as well, Mike, and know for you, Kyle, Andy, that we don't know about Andy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I have no context. We'll, we'll, we'll see where he lands in this. Well, some say I am like the wind, <laughs> and therefore I am outside of context. But no, notice the practices that that have been really elevated and given. Come on, more time on. and center stage. They're the yeah. practices that that we feel embolden more our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our strength. That can leverage our talents. They give us a, a, a greater sense of control over what's going on. So. It's preaching. It's me talking for a long time. Yeah. Secondarily, it's others on stage singing and, and making loud noise that kind of generates a certain kind of experience, yep. right? And yep. notice what often gets marginalized are things like communion, mm-hmm. right, from from the worship service or even the public reading of scripture. That it's just being read by someone and we're not unpacking it yet. Right, right? The, right. These are practices that are reminding us that there's someone else who's primarily at work here doing something and yeah. that it's not contingent upon us to make well, it. Well even happen. the way yeah. we do worship sure. can can fall prey totally. to that, right? Sure. It's 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 you even talk about worship becomes an avenue towards something else. Yeah. Which and what do you mean by that? Yeah, well it becomes an avenue avenue towards kind of 
a felt sense of transcendence and mm-hmm. excitation. It's about kind of feeling powerful and feeling I'm a part of something mm-hmm. powerful the rush. and big yep. and exciting. And the same maybe kind of existential moment we get at a Mumford and Sons concert with a hundred thousand people, we would be content with that same kind of feeling in a worship service environment. In fact, that would be viewed as kind of successful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And of course yeah. we would define it as the spirit of God at work. Sure. Right. But it just um, means everyone felt awesome. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. That's yeah. right. And God can use it. I mean, he, he, he uses asses like of course. me and Andy in particular. <laughs> and <laughs> Go figure. And so we're, you yeah. know, he can use anything. So praise be to him. Yeah. But there is this this seeming infatuation I've I've been a part of. It's 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 reflected in the elevation of the Sunday production over other every other area of the church. Sure. So it's not the community aspect. It's not the serving the poor aspect. It's not the justice aspect. It's the nope the weekend show. Sure. And it just burns people out. It rests on an individual personality. I love I love that you say most pastors use their personality yeah. to uh, mm-hmm. to a, a gain a platform or a following rather yeah. than trust in something else. Yeah. You say, um, and Kyle, talk to this a little bit. Yeah. You say being special mm. is the Achilles heel <laughs> of uh, most churches. What, what's yeah. that mean? The desire of specialness. I mean, I, and I don't know. It'd be interesting to kind of talk to some people more globally. Is, is this like an American phenomenon or is mm. it broader than that? But I think particularly in America, we, we have this desire. We want to stand out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so if I go to a church, I don't want to just go to a church. I want to go to a special church. And that usually is going to be linked to technique. So the church, that's awesome, right? The right. church, maybe that's great music or impressive buildings or something along those lines. More often than not, and again, this I think is interesting, is that we it, it means a person specific. There's one special person that's what there. I'm talking about. Or maybe a handful of special people there, that's right. depending. That's right. And mm-hmm. I want, if, if I can somehow link my kind of self, I can link myself to them, kind of ride their coattails in their greatness, Mm -hmm. then somehow that means I'm special too. Mm -hmm. And I was a part of a church for a while um, like this that I remember we would almost weekly have a, like, it was very funny. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure why we would do this. And it was weird to even think that now, like that, like no one noticed how weird this was, but we'd be reminded how lucky we were to be there. Mm. Aren't we, isn't it amazing that we get to be here, right? Or there's one of the stories. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. And it's and you don't you know when you're a part of a crowd, you know it's interesting. It's it's very easy to manipulate crowds. Sure. It's very easy to give a crowd a sense of transcendence, a sense of specialness, and then you you ride that wave by reminding them things like that. Mm. Wow, aren't we lucky to be here? Right. Mm. And suddenly it's like, wow, I I'm a part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna push back on that because like, what about that faux pas? Because so many folks feel like. There's just so much value in feeling like I'm a part of something bigger than myself. Like, yeah. it, like that's kind of the, such a driver for mm-hmm. people who participate in a certain church or even why I've talked to some people who came to faith in that same kind of perspective. Like, well, it just made me but realize. But then it's motive. Right. So, so you can be a part of something bigger than yourself for the sake of emptying yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you can be a uh, part of something bigger than yourself for the sake of filling yourself. Right. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, and it seems like... It seems like um, that sense of transcendence we're talking about feeds into the sort of narcissism of um, notoriety uh, right. is another word you guys use. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the idea to feel special being attached to, and I, so I'm special because I'm a part of this. Um, uh, that's, that stands, to me, it stands in contrast to... Totally. Well, it sounds like a solvent to weakness, though, too. 
because it's kind of like, well, now I feel like I've gained power because I'm part of something powerful right. versus being able to stand alone in weakness yeah. and just realize this is really humbly who I am. Right. And mm. if my relationship with Jesus is close, that that would feel enough. Yeah. You know, and so it's kind of, mm. it does seem very contrary. Like it draws you away from the reality of your weakness and rather institutionally brings you power and alters like what you think you stand with because you would say well i'm a part of this church or i'm a part of this movement so it brings mm-hmm. you some intrinsic value sure well and i i think it it plays on the individualism of our culture and this notion that in order to be me i've got to discover these kind of latent potentialities in me i've got these things that i could be great whatever mm-hmm. and yeah. this is the average person that and maybe this place can help me actualize mm-hmm. myself you know one of the hardest things i think to really internalize even for for people who have been christians for years who can who follow jesus when we hear things that like the apostle paul will say that your life is hidden with christ in god that means that's the bible that's again. more bible that means your true self <laughs> is external to yourself. And this is one of the most freeing things, but we're convinced it's mm. death. Mm. We're, we've become so convinced as a culture that in me is, is where, where, where my power, my greatness, my ability lies, mm. and, and that is debilitating. Like when you think of it, like my generation grew up hearing like you can put it, you could do anything you put your mind to. Oh, so yeah. It's like, is there yourself. a bigger lie than that? There's most things I can't do. Like as a parent, I was like, no, there's most things that you're not going to be able to do, quite honestly. And, yeah. and, and we don't want, we, we want this kind of vision of, you yeah. know, I can unlimited do anything. I, it's unlimited. And that's debilitating. Yeah, right? That's absolutely. death. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of the, one of the realities of our culture that's just been kind of imbibed within the church is this, this idea that kind of the flourishing self is the fully actualized self. Mm -hmm. And at at least according to Jesus, it it, it actually, the flourishing self is not the self kind of fully actualized, but it's the abiding self as Christ will say. And John 15 is a passage. What the hell does that? Yeah, 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 seriously. Well, John John 15 is, is a passage we want to turn to here that is, Jesus kind of making the same point with some different language about power and weakness. And the imagery that Jesus provides there is this image that we are like branches who are dependent Mm -hmm. upon a vine, which is himself for life, for sustenance, for provision. And the image evokes a sense of weakness and dependence and Mm -hmm. neediness. Mm -hmm. And what's arresting about Jesus' words there is this notion that if you, if you abide in me, if you depend upon me, you stay linked to me, you recognize your need and dependence for me and trust me for life, for fulfillment, for power, for strength, then you will flourish. Hmm. You're, you, you will bear, as he says, you will bear much fruit, right? It's this image of not just kind of, you'll be a tree that does okay, right. but you'll be a tree that does really well. Um, but conversely, he says there, if you don't, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is one of the rare occasions where actually the, the original language of the Bible matters, which <laughs> I, let me say as a pastor and guy who did an MA New Testament, <laughs> trust me, no matter how many times we geek out and tell you, 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 you wish you only knew the Greek, it doesn't matter most of the time. <laughs> but in this case, it does. And here, it's what's called a double negative or double negation, where the literal translation would be, apart from you, you can do nothing, really nothing. Jesus mm. is emphatic about this. And it's this notion that, at least in his kingdom economy, the only place of true weakness is living life on your own. Right. The only place of true impotence is viewing yourself as the, is the resource and fountain of flourishing and success 
and power and strength. He says, if you appeal to that, then this is the only place of genuine weakness. You can do nothing. This is the kind of radical notion of Jesus that the widow's might, another story Jesus shares about a woman who who puts in a tiny bit of money, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that literally in the kingdom of God, literally, this is more money than the millionaire who thinks he can leverage what he has to kind mm-hmm, of curry mm-hmm. God's favor. Now, and not in some kind of like neat, warm, fuzzy kind of spiritual sense that Jesus doesn't really mean. Yeah. But like in a literal sense, that woman's putting more money in the kingdom. There's more power there yeah. than in the millionaire who's All right, so let me ask leveraging. you this. Yeah. Preacher. Uh, now we've had preaching from both of our guests today. I <laughs> <Yeah>. love it. <laughs> I was Can't preaching about Harry Potter, but yeah. so <laughs> I know. Hey, hey. Um, regarding weakness, so so we do a lot of Q and A. So we chart, mm-hmm. we start our church services with questions with Q and A, and we just encourage loads of doubt and and skeptics and curiosity. Cool. So we did a we did a, a weakness a teaching on weakness um, mm-hmm. out of uh, you know Paul's very famous vision yeah. and. And, and, and here's the question that I would ask, but this person asks beautifully, so we'll just use their question. Mm. Uh, regarding weakness, I do believe that God meets us in our weakness, and that's where we can see him work the most, right? Dallas Willard's great quote, where does God live? He lives at the end of your rope. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, love that one. That's good. But here's his question. But what does that mean for everyday lives? What does abiding mean mm. for everyday life? Because, I mean, every everyone who's a Jesus person is going to go, yeah, yeah, of course. Right. I've heard this a zillion sure. times. Right. Am I to constantly put myself in situations that make me weak? Because that sounds scary and exhausting. Yeah, 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 no kidding. So what would you say to that person? Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I think here's the, what I want to start with is the kind of the misnomer, and Kyle kind of earmarked it earlier, that, that the goal here is weakness. No, the goal isn't weakness. The goal is true power. Mm. Right? That, the, ooh, the, ooh, the, ooh, yeah. hold on. The end game is not, the end game is not eschew all power and just live in weakness. Yes, no, no. Paul says, it, it's Come knowing on. God's power Come in the on. midst of my weakness. Come on. And it's this place where I can truly flourish, where I can truly experience the real life-giving power that is known in okay. God. Okay, now that, bro, that is a game changer. Yes. Yeah. Because um, I didn't even pick that up from the book. I mean, I'm sure you said it, but that, yeah. That nails it for me. Yeah. In terms of yes, you're right. The issue is power. Yes. That that God wants us to be trustworthy with power. Right. But it's it's the way in which we and how we define and yeah. how we go after yeah. and the question yeah. is where do we think power really comes from? Yes. Right. And then as Kyle said earlier, also what do we think it's for? But but initially, mm. where do we think it really comes from? Right. And so what I would want to say as well, again, I get really practical and gritty. Is we've talked a lot about leadership and leadership context, but the truth is. We don't have to go hunting to find our weakness. Our lives are a consistent experience of our weaknesses if we are willing to attend to them all day long, right? right. And weakness kind of for us at least shows up three ways in our lives. Yeah. And we, again, pulled this from the Bible. Oh, but, but for us, it's number one, we fundamentally as, as kind of human creatures are weak. Right. We, we are not all knowing. We're Finite. not all powerful. We're not God. And that that is a truth of just who we are, right? And right. so... And, and it's not a bad thing. It's, it's just a true condition of what it means to be human. Yeah. Um, secondarily, we each as individuals have kind of certain unique weaknesses, right? So right. For, as Kyle referenced earlier, no amount of me, even though I believed this in high school, no amount of me playing basketball every day was going to ever make me Michael Jordan. It yeah. wasn't a matter of just work ethic. <laughs> it's also a matter of not having the 
the skill, right? right? right and so, right, yeah, and so right. some of us good at math, others not good at math, right. right? And so there's certain weaknesses. And then lastly, it is sin, right? That oh, we've fallen short of the glory of God, that we do have areas of genuine vice, and these are weaknesses as well. And right. so what I would want to say is the landscape of our lives is a constant mirroring of these truths, that I'm finite, that I'm temporal, that I have limitations, that I can't resolve all the problems in my life, that I wish I had gifts and skill sets here. And as I'm working my day job, I, I'm, I'm reminded, like, I'm not really good at this. So you come to that realization. Yes. And then what? Yes. Those moments are opportunities for presenting the truth of ourselves to God in prayer. Come on. And, and opening up the truth of our heart to him and saying, this isn't something to hide from or run from or seek to cover over or mitigate against. And see, this is where I think the church has really done us a disservice. We've kind of adopted, a, a, again, a... I think a very kind of American trope that no weaknesses are meant to be kind of covered over with mm-hmm, strengths, right? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. even in our churches, we talk a lot about discovering your spiritual gifts, Come on. which usually just align with the, the abilities we have. Right. And these are the things we're supposed to leverage and push forward and in and, and, and effort to avoid areas of yep. weakness. Come and on. The truth is areas of weakness are places to lean into and to open our hearts to God in prayer. Yeah. And to so, be with him. Okay, go ahead. Well, and this this means, and this is, I think, where it gets particularly hard for everyone, but in particular leadership in the church. More often than not, you're leading into or you're living into your strengths. Right. You do have natural gifts and abilities. You know, right. you don't. If you're an accountant, you're hopefully good at math, right? Or you right. Rethink your life a little bit, but. <laughs> But it's going to be those strengths then that actually we're called most to embrace our weakness. Because the weakness in our strength is going to be the the desire to think that I can just wield this Mm -hmm. by myself in my own power. But it's precisely in even my strengths that I got to kind of embrace the fact that no i need christ even here yeah i need to rest the, the in greater temptation. Here. yeah it's easy for me to rest in jesus when i know i can't totally. do something yep right. but it's when i've preached you know ten thousand sermons yep. that mm. i find myself most likely to mm. go eh i'm good yep right. i know the formula yep. i know i can just go up there i can i know the technique that's right and so we turn to technique right we and and this is why i think the the average you know so my my seminary students right t- pretty typical what i call evangelical students most of them don't pray most of them dun 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 that's right shocking <laughs> yeah. shocking yeah. most of them read their bible every day because it's very easy to tick a box and say yep nailed it yeah, i did that right but sure. if if you go sit in prayer no one leaves that feeling like yeah oh, I, I, hate I, that. I nailed yeah, that I nailed prayer that, time. <laughs> that last hour where i slept for most of it boom <laughs> i killed i killed <laughs> prayer today that's, that's why i'm not going to seminary these days right there that's right all the spiritual theology stuff and there. so you You're just right. avoid all these things that awaken your weakness well if weaknesses aren't things to be afraid of then suddenly this, and this means, as to quote my um, one of my favorite quotes from my spiritual mentor, you know, prayer is not a place to be good; it's a place to be honest. John Coe, baby. Yeah, that's right. And so, um, my mentor and boss now, so I like to quote him. It's <laughs> uh, <but, laughs> a good decision. That's right. So, like moving into into prayer and the truth of ourselves is is now an empowering reality. Mm. And it's just that, that that these things no longer are what define me. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea that that we have that somehow my these things define me, my natural gifts to find that's just debilitating yeah. and and what that's doing in our culture yeah, that's the exhausting part it's it exhausting is. and this is why as a culture we alienate those with either physical or mental disabilities Come we on. alienate the elderly right. because they're unable as when we interviewed mm. james houston like here's one of the most brilliant human being we've probably ever met right. here's a guy mentored by c.s lewis one of the most famous christians of, of a generation and he's like yeah I'm, I'm i'm now retired so that means i'm not a human anymore right, right. 
And the reality of what it means is a culture where one of the first things we ask each other is, what do you what do? You do? do? Yep. Wow. And if you don't do, then you're, you're not meaningful. And that's death. Right. Wow. And so how do we continue to then press into, a, maybe there's a different way to be a human being that is actually mm. life-giving. This totally speaks to like even just the central topic of ableism. Like We talked about this a couple mm-hmm. episodes ago. We, with... we both have kids with Down syndrome. Right. So we spend sure. a lot yeah. of time talking about disability. Right. Mm. But it's amazing when yeah. you, you transfer over that language and that concept even into spiritual aspects, into yeah. aspects of the church. And it's not just how we view people with disabilities, but then the additional like aspect of how we categorize and judge people based on their own abilities and how mm. that, that becomes a defining factor of success and growth and, right. and everything yeah. that we're talking about. Sure. So, yeah. sure. dang. Well, so, Okay, well, one of the one of the, I think the provocative things that that again the Bible <laughs> gives us is that there's no one a wholly needy in Scripture. That means our what we do. So, we, one way the church I think has has wielded its power benevolently is that like let, let's care for let's say folks with right. with Down syndrome, let's care for them. But the assumption has been we have something that they need, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Versus versus mm-hmm. this reciprocal relationality right. yep. where where they're get, that we are actually less as a people Preach, if they're baby. not here. Preach baby. And and unfortunately with money, churches with money almost always assume they have things that everyone else needs. Yeah. Right. And so now they stand in a relation of power that is dehumanizing. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not how we in, well think about our missions trips all of our missions trips are yep are are, are expressions of power over yep people totally mexico That's we're right. gonna go build houses for them mm-hmm. yep. yeah 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 and so the 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 Come biblical on. model i think is reciprocity is a profound Come on. one Come where on. and this mm-hmm. is where i think you know when when jesus says to his people that you will be known by your love we live in a culture Bible. that is trying to eradicate people with down syndrome oh i know this mm-hmm. is precisely yeah. where the church should step up and say Amen. what are we worried about right yeah these people are delightful are right. profound right what are we what is the fear here right and i think this is precisely where we could be known by our love but we're not because right. we're embracing mm. that same kind of power come on right right i mean it, it almost feels like the entire concept of mission has been should be flipped i mean where mm. it's like Going to a some place in Ukraine and hearing about the incredible love that some small church is actually mm. going to his community about to go mm. there and say, hey, we're, here to learn. we're so screwed up in America because <laughs> we're obsessed with smoke and lights and music and our celebrity right. pastors that right. I need to learn from you. Like mm. to me, that sure. sounds like a mission sure. not to go there and say you know, how, you know, how, what's yeah. your influence? You know, talk, talk to me about your analytics reach. Do you guys got a Facebook page? You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, but that yeah. seems like all the tools we've, you know, made ourselves able of controlling. We yeah. now think that those tools are universal for what we call growth mm-hmm. and, you know, right. the, the growth of the spiritual kingdom. Yeah. So let me ask this. So we've talked about a bit about how this plays practically. How, how do you build? So let's say we were all starting a church from scratch. Mm. Um, how do you how do you build a church or a community mm. that uh, begins to embody some of what we're what we're talking about? Mm. What would be things that would be true of it? Things that you would true be true of of how you would lead? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. as a leader, so that's interesting to me, but also things that you would stay away from in terms of program or ways mm. of or techniques or whatever. Right. What what would you what comes to mind when you when you think of that? If yeah. we're going to reconstruct on the idea yeah, of, of yeah. power and weakness, there's a lot to talk about here, right? But um, yeah, you guys talk, I love it. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, um, this is the danger of having a professor and a pastor. Right? <laughs> that's genius <laughs> with mics, yeah. But I think, right, yeah, yeah, seriously. and I think uh, we'll, we'll probably 
go back and forth here a little bit, but I think one of the first things that comes up for me is 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 a kind of wholly uh, un uh, interesting and non uh, unique concept that the the historic practices of the church are really important. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is something we actually end up getting to in the book is that notice that kind of all the practices of the church. So when I say practice of the church, I'm thinking of communion, uh, baptism, um, the the reading of scripture, confession, that, that all these practices, if, if properly understood both as kind of prescribed by the Bible or at least commended by scripture and secondarily practiced by the church throughout the history of the church, if, if we if we view them properly, they're all a constant invitation to this profound truth mm. that we are weak and that we are in need of another for strength. I mean, think about the notion of that that I'm taking, whether it's bread and wine or grape juice, whatever your choice is, but that, that there is actual provision here that I'm saying in this feeble meal, this is life-giving. I need Jesus, right? And think about how bizarre kind of an act this is to mm-hmm. those who are outside mm-hmm. the life of the church, that we're taking this meager little meal and passing it around <laughs> and we're saying this is life and sustenance because it's a reminder of one who broke his body for us, died on a cross, and in that we have power and life. Like, what? Yeah. That that's what a backwards philosophy for life and yet it is a demonstration of a certain location and source of power right that we're needy uh, baptism is a demonstration of that as well as yeah. we share in Christ's death and resurrection there's there's power in this right that mm-hmm. God's actually operative and present in these things mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I think the first thing I'd want to start with is a very kind of perhaps I suppose uh non kind of but that's the point yeah the fact that you have to disclaim it (laughs) (laughs) that much shows how much we've still bought into it it's not sexy it's not it's not incredible yes Mm -hmm. and and i think to my maybe to the point i made earlier we've noticed how we have marginalized some of these practices Mm -hmm. and or framed them in very different ways Mm -hmm. to make them feel more powerful to us and to give us a little bit more Mm -hmm. kind of skin in the game and making something happen yeah as opposed to each of these practices historically is a, is a profoundly kind of um, humbling experience, right? That yeah. Something else is being done here that I'm being invited into that I have no control over that's been going yeah. on for a very long time. That's right. And that reminds me how how much I need God. Come <laughs> yeah. on. So that, that's that's probably a first place I'd yeah, begin. that's good. You know what? This is an example I'll give. I don't think there's any silver bullet model of church damn you that's what i wanted i wanted that so bad when i was a seminary student remember 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 the early seminary years maybe for you too mike it was like if we could just get back to acts two and then we pretend like then we pretend like the wrecks of acts and like the rest of the bible didn't happen where people are bickering at each other and fighting (laughs) over getting drunk in communion you know acts two right Right, So, you know, just get back to Corinthians. Yeah, that's, right. Right. That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's, right. Yeah. that's my point right there, man. Yeah, yeah. So already, you know, the, every church model has strengths and every church model has weaknesses. Like in, now I'm speaking in most naturalistic terms. Like there's, there's temptations on either side, sure. no matter what. The current church I'm a part of, one of the interesting things has been, you know, and, you know, we moved two and a half years ago to Southern, back to Southern California and we were looking for a local church to Your go family. to. family. My family did, yeah. 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 And so um, we, the church we found, it it wasn't, it wasn't the church I initially thought. Oh yeah, I'm gonna end up at a church like this. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, to end up at a church has been very interesting. Where I'm one of what, five or six folks who preach regularly, which means we don't have a paid pastor on staff. 
Damn you. We're, we're a group of eligible. What, ha- what would I do? What would I do for money? <laughs> yeah. We have one paid guy. So we have one paid elder. And his job is like he does half of just running the day-to-day kind of stuff. And then he's the guy that's going to be by your bedside in the hospital. Like right. He's our pastoral care guy. And so, again, I don't, I don't think that's the only way to do it. But the interesting thing about that yes. has been no one could come to the church because they love my preaching. Right. That would be a really stupid thing to do because I'm right. preaching at most once every four weeks. Right. And what I love about the dynamic we have is none of us are similar. So we have we, different seminary backgrounds, different mm-hmm. education backgrounds. We have a couple of guys with doctorates. We have a couple of folks just getting their M- master's degrees. We have all over the map. One's really, really pastoral. I'm a little more academic, big picturey. Well, I mean, we're very all we're, we're very different. And so, n- what right. that's mitigating against is someone going, "I go to this church because that guy's awesome, yeah. and I want to be connected to them." And so, again. That that's one way to press against one of the temptations. There's other temptations we have, yeah, and that that right. that'll actually open us up, I think, to a other set of temptations with power. Yeah, I think the the other piece of your question there that I want to at least speak to briefly is kind of the how do we as because part, part of the back end of your question was kind of how do we as leaders mm-hmm. maybe approach differently. Not only how do we think about kind of the structure of worship or our practices or kind of preaching, but how do we as leaders. And I think one of the things that that really was arresting for me in the conversation with Eugene Peterson, one of these hmm. folks we sat with, and the, the pastor, as I like to call yeah. call him, yeah. is his kind of commitment to this practice of being relentlessly personal. And for hmm. for Eugene, that means a lot of things hmm. about how to do ministry and how to be a pastor, but. Um, for him, it, it, it cashes out in two ways that I've found incredibly helpful as a way to kind of stand against unhealthy kind of toxic versions of power. Mm. Because the truth is, as a pastor, you just are in a position of power. I mean, mm-hmm. seeking to kind of eschew that as like, I'm just not going to do that is is a fool's errand. Yeah. The it, issue isn't whether or not we're going to do yeah, something I mean, with you, power. You, you, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to be in a position, if it's a small group of 20 people in your home as a house church, if you get up for more than 10 minutes and talk and everyone's listening to you, the, the power is going on, yeah. right? The authority is happening and so well how do we mitigate against some of the temptations in that to control to dominate Mm. to coerce to use it for our own glory and end and i think eugene's commitment to being personal in two ways has really been helpful for me as a Mm. practice Mm. one is to intentionally pursue relationships within that life of the church that are friendship-based relationships And, and what's so fascinating is much of the culture I've grown up in and kind of been raised in as a pastor has kind of said, friends. actually, yep. you should not do that. Mm-hmm. That's You need to have healthy, quote unquote, boundaries, right. right? And maintain proper structures of authority. But notice what happens is the, the pastor has moved more and more into a position of isolation, further kind of calcifying his position of authority in a certain way yeah. over and against others who are always receivers of his. That's right. There's not a, there's not a relationship of That's reciprocity right. and vulnerability. Right. So yep. genuine friendships are needed. And of course, course we have to be discerning about that who that is and when i do that it doesn't mean every pastoral counseling session (laughs) i'm bearing my soul back to the person right but the second area and then close with this the second area is outside the church like what that that, that i don't just have relationships (laughs) what wait 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 wait, wait, wait. this is is so crazy right that that i don't just have relationships not only with with just kind of the the pastors in my 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 guild you know, because that's the the, the yeah. first move is I, I only know. have relationships with other pastors. I know. Yeah, I know. But now, okay, maybe I have friendship relationships with other people in the church who are Christians. But actually, having relationships with people who are thoroughly unimpressed with the fact that I'm a pastor. Oh my goodness! That have mm-hmm. no that's my wife. no respect. <laughs> I know? live with one of those. <laughs> yeah, 
but, but it's the person on the plane or the coffee shop who, when you totally. tell them you're a pastor, yeah, there's a little it. bit of a cringe, yeah, right? Totally. And it's it's those relationships we we've got to have that are that I think for me have been really grounding, right? Good, that because yeah. because even within the life of the church, even if you cultivate friendships, there still is a sense of yeah, you're still the pastor, and that yeah. that is a weighty thing and, yeah. and and an honorable thing, and even in an appropriate way, right? But there's something really good and right about having relationships with people who are like, man, I like the fact that you're a pastor is not only not impressive, it's maybe taking you it's down a, a peg or two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? And now yeah. I'm having to relate out of different places mm. uh, that, oh, that, so that aren't kind of bound up in those hierarchies. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so for me, that means um, Andy will now have to forsake his power uh, grabbing. <laughs> See, I thought um, it was the other way around. I'm like I mean, just sitting yeah, here with no and, respect. And I'm like, I'm very excited for Andy <laughs> to hear all this. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he, he, needed, he needed it. <laughs> so this, this was actually an intervention. <laughs> oh, it's really what this was. Yes. Three yes. on one. Three yes. on one. Yeah. Oh, my brothers. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Um, Andy Bear doesn't like it if it's too long. It, mm-hmm. he, you yell at me sometimes when I get yapping too much. So. <laughs> uh, so thank you, gentlemen. It, it's, it is wonderful, refreshing. Um, hopefully you're stirred to investigate this more. So Second mm-hmm. um, Corinthians is a book that really a man named Paul who was, you know, to, he's Saint Paul to us. He's incredibly powerful to us, but to his original crew, he wasn't much and he has to defend himself. And he does that by boasting. His resume is in his weakness and it's mm-hmm. amazing. So that's one, one place to look. Um, the Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard is uh, is another place to look. Um, and then I, I would encourage this book. I think there's some really great, interesting stuff. One of the more interesting uh, things that you do that we've hit on several times is is you're getting around older folks. Mm-hmm. And that to me was part of the, that was part of the book I enjoyed most was like, mm-hmm. man, you know, I held Dallas Willard's hand once when we were, he was doing an event at Rock Harbor, a church I was at, and and I got in a prayer circle and made sure I was right next to him. <laughs> and you guys commented, he has like mm-hmm. the softest, biggest farm hands in the history of the world. <laughs> and to lose him, and we're going to lose mm-hmm. all of these, yeah. you know, folks mm-hmm. in the next 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And who replaces them? You know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be the, it's not going to be the, the, the hipster, um, mega megas because none of these people were you know these were all people who walked on obscure paths that God gave favor to they weren't seeking mm-hmm. and um, and so anyway I think it's uh, I think it's a great investment of your time again um, April 20th sign up uh, Andy will have uh, Facebook signups for our um, our uh, dance party sign up will show. be on the website. Yes. I will hit Which, up. And website is what? Uh, Voxpodcast.com. Okay. And all you Patreon supporters will get early RSVP. So yes. look out for that. Because you pay us money to buy uh, Actually, Light by the people. time that this one actually launches, you will have already gotten the RSVP. That's right. So, you so know, take it's that. coming. So let us boast of our weaknesses for a moment. Andy is short. <laughs> um, he has he has very soft arms. Darwin would be so proud of you. Right and um, and and Andy, um, he his chest hair is minimal. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, I get like one sprout right? maybe every right? two years. You can, it's like the rings of a tree. You can tell how old Listen, he is. You should see how fast I can swim. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go that was boasting in our weakness by mike and andy um uh anyway my brothers and my sisters uh thank you as always for being a part uh we're gl- grateful to be a part of your life 
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. Until next time, brothers and sisters, thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.